What is going on you guys and welcome back to another video. If it is your first time here, my name is Brandon. In today's video, we are talking about the topic of inflation. And I took a moment to look back over my channel and in three years of doing YouTube, I haven't once, once covered the topic of inflation. So this is gonna be such a fun video, as fun as we can make it. I'm gonna give you guys some examples, some definitions, and if you do stick around to the end of the video, we're gonna talk about how you can invest when inflation is present. And this is gonna be a very, very timely topic because inflation has definitely become somewhat of a buzzword. With the money printing and circulation, the low interest rates, we're gonna talk about all of that. But if you guys enjoy this video, all I'd ask is drop a big thumbs up if you support the channel, leave a comment down below to let me know that you enjoyed the video. And as always, we do have our investing academy. So if you do wanna learn more about the stock market and finance and anything to do with the market here in Canada, check out that first link down below. But let's start this video off with a couple of definitions. And I promise I'll keep this short. I'm not much of a definitions guy, but inflation. In economics, inflation is the general rise in price level of an economy over a period of time. Now let's cut the textbook talk and keep it simple. Inflation is when the price of the crap we wanna buy goes up and gets more and more and more expensive. We see it every single day with things like the price of gas, with jugs of milk, really any product or service that you come across is likely more expensive today than it was X number of years ago. And that's a simple living case of inflation. Now on the topic of definitions, you will come across the term deflation. Now, what is deflation? People tend to get this wrong all the time. Deflation is when the general price of goods and services actually goes down over a specific period. Now, when I say down, I'm talking negative, below zero. So the prices of goods actually get cheaper over a specific period of time. If you look last year and prices have fallen, that is a case of deflation not to get confused with disinflation, which is when prices are still going up, so they're still positive, we're still seeing some inflation, just not as fast as the previous uh, period or the previous year, for example. If last year prices increased by 3% and this year prices only increased by 1.5%, they're still going up, prices are still getting more expensive, but there's a, there's a slowdown, there's a slump in the increase, that is disinflation. So very important to know the difference between those two, those three. You will come across actually two more terms or definitions such as stagflation. Stagflation is a period, a sustained period of very, very high uh, inflation, inflationary rates. These will often be accompanied with uh, high unemployment. Take the 1970s, which is a great example. You can tell here by the chart I have up on the screen, you do see these sustained high periods of inflation, in this case, averaging somewhere between nine and 10% over a few number of years. Last but not least, you may come across the term hyperinflation, and this is very, very bad. Hyperinflation is the rapid escalation of prices. You don't wanna find yourself in an economy that's experiencing this because as we've seen with cases like Zimbabwe, dating back to 2007, to 2009, with the extreme amounts of money printing, they saw inflation of 79 billion percent, okay? That's how you read that number, 79 billion. Prices doubled approximately every 24 hours. We also saw this in Venezuela actually quite recently. I did a video on that. If you do wanna check it out, I really enjoyed making that video. But the point I'm trying to get across, we don't wanna find ourselves in a situation of hyperinflation nor stagflation. And that's actually why the central banks and the people in charge actually try to do a good job of monitoring and keeping inflation stable and in a good place. Actually, in fact, it's quite normal and actually healthy to have some forms of inflation. 
some of the positives that come with inflation is it does boost consumer confidence. It does also help the level of just general consumption out there. People like to see their money growing over time and keeping inflation within a stable range is a very, very high priority for the central banks. We're gonna talk about them more in a moment. But here in Canada, as a great example, we target a band or a range of keeping inflation within the one within the targets of one to three percent. This page that you're looking at on the screen is actually from the Bank of And as you can see, the inflation right dead smack in the middle CPI, we're going to talk about that in a second, is sitting at two point two percent. So right in that band or right in that range that we're looking at. And you will note on this chart. We did see it go substantially lower during COVID. We're going to touch on that in just a second. But I want to first talk about how inflation works in the first place. Again, we kind of understand. We should know kind of in general what inflation is, but how does it actually work? Well, at the end of the day, we have to bring it back to economics 101, bring it back to the basics, because what it all boils down to is a simple case of supply and demand. And if we're looking at a specific product or a specific service, it really doesn't matter what we're looking at. If we see an increase in demand, and that's accompanied typically with a decrease in supply, we are going to see inflation. On the contrary, if we come into a case scenario where there's an increase in supply and a decrease in demand, well, we're going to see the exact opposite play out. And I'll give you a quick little example to display this. Let's assume you yourself are a sneakerhead, okay? You like collecting sneakers. It's one of your hobbies, and you go through all the raffles and try to get your hands on the newest pair of sneakers. Well, if you are so lucky and you happen to get your pair on these, your hands on a pair of these limited edition sneakers, you can pretty much immediately go to a place like Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist and list those sneakers for quite a premium. And people are willing to pay quite a high price because there's typically a lot of demand for these sneakers or this shoe. And in this case, there's really not much supply. In fact, there's a very limited supply and you have that uh, in your inventory or in your uh, collection. Therefore, people are willing to pay more and more and more dollars. And we come across some crazy cases at times where people pay insane amounts of price for shoes. I don't really get that myself, but again, that's just it's not one of my hobbies. So that's a clear case where demand is very high and the supply is actually quite low. On the contrary, let's take the example of a company who messes up their ordering or they uh, you know, made a little mistake in their calculations or, or they made an error and all of a sudden in their inventory they have a bunch of extra iPhone cases or a bunch of extra iPhone cables or whatever the product is. Well, now they have an increase in supply and maybe there's not quite enough demand to keep up with that. Well, that's where you go walk into your Best Buy and you see these things go on sale and they have to cut the price down because they're trying to find that equilibrium within the market. Those are two very clear examples of supply and demand. Now, I wanna give you one more example where this is gonna start to make a whole bunch more sense because those are two kind of one-off concentrated examples. Let's picture ourselves in a big, big bubble. And let's assume that there's a thousand of us. Now let's assume there's a hundred of us within this little bubble or this dome and it's blocked off to the outside world. We're living in this little economy, we can call it. And of the hundred people that live in this economy, let's assume that we each have a thousand dollars, which gives us a total in this economy of money circulating of a hundred thousand dollars. This is obviously going to be a dumbed down and a simple example. But within our little dome and within our little world that we are all living in, you got your grocery store, you got your gas station, you got your laundromat, everything that you'd need to live and all is good. 
and let's assume you go to your retailer and they're charging $25 for a t-shirt and that's what people are willing to pay. It's a good profit for the business. Uh, consumers are happy. That's kind of that equilibrium level. The t-shirt is gonna go for $25. Well, let's assume all of a sudden, for whatever reason, there is an increase in money that we have in this little dome. This could be because maybe pay uh, wages increase. Maybe the government decides to cut taxes, right? We have a little government in our little bubble or a dome and the government says, hey, we're gonna be nice to you guys, save some money on taxes and now we have more dollars in our pocket. Maybe somebody comes in with a big syringe and pokes into our little dome or bubble and injects a whole bunch of more money and there's more money in circulation and now each of us hundred people in this dome have $1,500, $1,500. So we all got a little bit more disposable income. Well, as humans in this bubble, we're gonna wanna go and spend that. And we're gonna go out and see where we can shop. And then let's assume we go into this retail store and we say, ooh, I like this t-shirt. I got a little bit of extra cash. You know, I'm not scraping pennies here. I wanna go out and buy this t-shirt. And if a bunch of people are thinking that exact same thing, and all of a sudden there's more demand for this t-shirt, the store owner who, Logically, he's in this to make money and he's trying to make a profit, which uh, really at the end of the day, all corporations do. He decides that he can charge $27 for this t-shirt, maybe even $28.50 or $29 because people have more money, they're willing to spend and there's a higher demand for this product. In this case, we are looking at a t-shirt. Now let's think about this more on a broader scale and eliminate the idea of our bubble or dome scenario. Let's picture this on a worldwide or a big nationwide scale when people have more money in circulation, more money in their pockets, their confidence is high, the economy's functioning well and people are spending, spending, spending. This is how we see the general rise of goods and services or the price rise, I should say, of goods and services over time. That's a very dumbed down example, but on a bigger scale, this is how we see inflation. Now you may be wondering, how can we realistically track inflation because in our bubble example that's pretty clear there's a hundred people there but what happens when we're talking about millions of people in a specific nation well this is where you'll come across the term or the abbreviation cpi and it stands for the consumer price index in particular you're actually going to come across what's called the cpi basket the consumer price index basket and this is a basket that contains around 700 goods and services ranging from food shelter, household operations, furnishing equipments, clothing, transportation, et cetera, et cetera. This basket, the idea of it, of it is that it contains a broad range of products and services that represent the broader economy. And it would be realistically impossible to track every single thing and every single movement in a specific area or a specific economy, which is why this basket acts as somewhat of a proxy where they can track the change in price of this basket over specific time periods. And this is actually how we go about measuring inflation. Here on the screen, what you're looking at is a 12 month change in the CPI or consumer price index and the CPI excluding energy. But if we focus on this darker blue purpley line, we can actually see how the prices of this basket, again, a proxy for the general economy, is moving up or down with time. We note that during COVID, when people weren't out buying and there was a huge slump in demand, we saw this significantly drop off. We have picked up to some more normal levels, again, right in that you know one to 3% range. 
here looking about 2%. Now, you can look at certain industries as well. I think a very clear one that you may have heard about uh, in recent times is looking at an industry, for example, like lumber or building materials. These have seen their prices skyrocket, but just in general, what's generally accepted across the board is measuring it by this CPI basket. Now let's take a moment and fast forward to our current day and talk about why this buzzword of inflation is really starting to pick up some steam and why investors across the board are starting to worry and become fearful of the potential of inflation over the next coming months and years. And really we can pinpoint COVID as a large cause to this. COVID has just been this black swan event that very few either predicted or expected to happen. And in result, the central banks and governments have stepped in largely, in large part, to help correct and help us get us get us through this pandemic. And as I'm sure you've heard, we have seen record amounts of money printing. It's pretty crazy, this statistic, that in 2020, nearly 20% or a fifth of all US dollars in currency were actually created in this year, and this year being 2020, so last year, but the money printing is still continuing with all the stimulus checks. If you actually take a look at the M2 money supply, we've seen this uh, gradually increasing, yes, but it's totally spiked since the pandemic hit. And let's recall from our little dome or our bubble scenario, when there's more money in circulation and people are simply out spending more and uh, have a higher level of consumption, a byproduct of that is inflation. Well, let's scale that up many, 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 many times. And that's what we are seeing in the modern day. And in fact, here's a chart of inflation in the US, which recently just hit a high of 4.2%. Now do keep in mind, these numbers are going to be slightly skewed because of COVID, how deeply uh, damaged we were from COVID. But you get the point. The inflation fears are starting to become quite real. And this will progress on to the dangers that we face with inflation. I talked about it at the top. Inflation is actually not uh, dangerous in and of itself. In fact, it's healthy and normal. But there are dangers when we start to see these higher inflationary periods. For one, when we experience inflationary periods, we do also experience, and what comes with that is a loss of purchasing power. In other words, there's a devaluation in our currency and our money actually becomes less and less valuable. And picture this, you have $100,000 in cash or in your bank account, but let's just assume you are literally holding $100,000 worth of bills. You sock that away in your closet or under your bed because you think that's a smart move. I'm just gonna save my $100,000. If you come back 10 years from now and you take that money out and you wanna go spend it in our world and in our economy, well, that $100,000 is actually not as valuable as it was 10 years ago, because keep in mind, the general price of goods and services has slowly and gradually increased. So 10 years ago, you could have bought $100,000 worth of stuff. This year, depending on how fast inflation has risen, you can actually buy less stuff. So this is what we would consider a loss in purchasing power. This is why older people hate inflation with a passion. It's one of their biggest fears and their worst enemies because if they can't keep up and at least match the pace of inflation as the cost of living just slowly, gradually increases, if their money isn't matching that, well, their uh, way of life is definitely going to suffer. It's even funny when you think about it, let's assume you got a 2% raise at work and you think, ooh, that's pretty good. My paycheck or salary just went up. But if that doesn't even keep up with inflation, you're really not much better off when you factor in the actual purchasing power that you have. Number two, I wanna share a post from another channel titled Joseph Carlson. 
He says here that inflation was up 4.2% last year. If you had your money in a sitting sitting in a 1% API savings account, you lost 3.2% while paying taxes on your gains from interest. And another danger that investors face is that as investors, we now have to accept a higher rate of return. You know, these low returns aren't going to cut it if inflation is at X amount. We need to actually beat that by a significant amount to to make sure that we're netting a good return and we're actually making money and increasing our purchasing power. The simple fact of it is that the higher and higher inflation gets, the higher and higher return we have to come to expect and strive for as investors. Danger number three is a topic that could warrant its own entire video and we could go down a deep, deep rabbit hole here, which we're not gonna get into today. But another consideration is that when we are experiencing high levels of inflation, the central banks or the Federal Reserve in particular in the US, Canada too, but the central bank's hands are very much forced to raise interest rates to combat this inflation. And when you understand what the central bank's job is, one of their primary concerns, in fact, a very primary concern, is to keep the level of inflation under control. And how do they do this? One of the tools, in fact, probably one of their most powerful tools that they do to keep this in their band is they adjust and they uh, make some changes to technically the overnight rate. But let's just say for this video, let's consider that the interest rate. They change or set what's called the overnight rate or a band and the accompanying rates across the economy will adjust uh, correspondingly with that rate. But what this means is that if they decide to increase rates in our economy, the cost of borrowing money simply becomes more expensive. So picture you're going out to get a mortgage or a business loan or a car loan or whatever it is from your bank. If interest rates in general are higher, you are going to be paying more and more and more for that exact same amount of money. And the idea behind this quite simply is that if they step in and they make it more costly and more expensive to go out and start a new home or to go out and buy a new car, consumers will be less inclined to go out and spend money in the economy. And that's actually what they will do when they're starting to see things heat up, inflation being a key indicator of this. But when an economy is overheating, they'll raise rates to essentially make things uh, to kind of dumb down or, or reduce the amount of economic activity. Now, on the contrary, they can do the exact opposite. In fact, we see that all the time whenever we enter these recessions or these tough periods and they want to give the economy a little bit of a boost they will actually cut interest rates in other words that same mortgage that same car loan or whatever you're going becomes substantially cheaper and then you'll be more inclined to go out and spend and it's this flywheel or it's this recurring cycle but that's a very very major thing now keep in mind this does not only apply to consumers but businesses as well are extremely affected by interest rates. And when you understand that corporations across, across the globe very, very heavily depend on debt and they very, very heavily depend on borrowing and financing for their operations, a simple change in the interest rate can result in billions of dollars, literally millions and billions of dollars of more money paid. So you can see why these raises in interest rates cause fear in the investor's eyes. And that's why at least over the past a couple weeks when we've heard talks of inflation and when we've seen these numbers come out, the stock market has correspondingly sold off. Again, this is a topic that is quite controversial in nature and people will go on and on and on arguing for either side and that's just for a completely new other, a completely other video. But what we need to understand is that when interest rates rise in efforts to combat inflation, 
absolutely there are negative impacts on corporations, on businesses, on the stock market. Investors in general will be less willing to go out and take on that equity risk when you can go, let's say for example, go buy a risk-free asset or a very safe asset and get a better yield. It just impacts everything. So those are a few of the dangers that I'd like to talk about today, but I wanna progress on now to how we can invest during periods of inflation. And the first things first I'd like to reiterate is that inflation in general and as a whole, this is normal and some inflation is good and healthy and we're gonna experience it. Throughout your investing lifetime, you are gonna invest through periods of high inflation, you're gonna experience, and you're gonna invest through periods of low inflation and that's something you have to accept. But one of my suggestions that you could consider if it makes sense for your portfolio is to look into owning commodities. And when we say commodities, in particular, what have been known to be these good hedges and these good combats to inflationary periods are physical assets. Take something like gold or silver. You can date back to the olden days. And as far as we go back, these assets, particularly gold, have just been known as this store of value. And what we will see is that when investors do cycle out of the stock market and they do cycle out of equities, it's very common that they'll flee over to an asset such as gold. Now, you could even make a very fair argument, which I'd actually likely lean towards and agree with, that in the modern day, even owning something like cryptocurrency, and particular, let's say a big one like Bitcoin, that could even be considered a hedge or you could treat it as somewhat of a commodity almost because of the lack of correlation with uh, the traditional stocks in the market. So that's one thing to consider. Personally, for me, I'm not a huge commodities fan. A second consideration, which again is not for me, but you will come across products that are actually indexed or they're linked to inflation. It's not the most common these days and I think this would be definitely more applicable for an older investor, but you can come across funds or certain investments or assets that will literally adjust based on how inflation plays out. And we talked about the CPI index. Let's assume you had a bond fund or some sort of GIC that was linked to inflation and they're going to pay you a 2% coupon or a 2% yield linked or adjusted or indexed to inflation, meaning that if inflation goes up half a percent, you're going to keep your coupon, but your those payments will be adjusted. It can go both ways. A great example of this that I randomly just came across is one from RBC. It's an RBC fund. Again, this is I'm not saying this is a particular fund, but I just pulled it up before this video, the PHNN Inflation Linked Bond Fund. If you go into their holdings, you see a bunch of real return bonds, which is basically what I'm talking about. That's what this fund consists of. Do keep in mind that these funds do come at a higher cost or a higher MER. You're actually paying for that feature and there can be periods where it does end up hurting you if inflation actually does go down. But that's an option, again, not for me because I'd like to really dial home point number three. And some people may call it a cop-out answer, but I don't think it's a cop-out answer whatsoever because how you invest with inflation, the most important one, and this is really just the way that I like to follow it, is if you go out and own great companies that are extremely profitable and that can compound their returns year after year after year, you're gonna be just fine. Make sure that what you own in your portfolio is of the highest quality, the best corporations you can find out there because as I mentioned, inflation is something that we just have to live with. It's normal, it's part of our everyday lives and it has been as far as we can go back. And that goes for these companies as well. They're facing these struggles, they're facing inflation and their materials and costs are going up, but the top, the cream of the crop, the companies like the Apples of the world, the Amazons of the world, 
they do so well that yes, inflationary periods may not be optimal, but they're still going to provide you with an exceptional return. And you're going to do really well as an investor if you can build your portfolio out of these companies. On the contrary, take this as a reminder that if all you own in your portfolio are companies, junk companies that aren't making money yet, and they're just getting off the ground and hey, maybe they do well down the road, but maybe they're in a phase of business where they have a bunch of debt. They have a bunch of long-term debt that they need to finance. And during these inflationary periods, as rates rise, that can really hamper some of these companies' returns, uh, their profitability or their potential profitability. And of course, with that will come down the share price. So although you may consider that a cop-out answer, I actually think that's the most important of the three that we just talked about here. Commodities are great. Index linked uh, bond funds, like sure, do that if you want. But if your portfolio is comprised of great businesses, they will get through these inflationary periods. They'll be out still generating cash flow. They'll be out paying out dividends to us as shareholders. They won't be sucking up a bunch of cash flow. They won't be a company that's just consuming, consuming cash. They'll be actually companies producing cash. And that's really boils down to what we talk about on the channel all the time. It's own great businesses have a portfolio constructed with them and you're gonna do just fine. I think that the takeaway for this video to wrap it up is that inflation over the past few years has averaged, let's just call it 2%. This is over the past 25 years in US and Canada at least, a little bit more than 2%, let's call it. Whereas equities in general, if we look at the S&P 500, they've averaged somewhere close to 10%. And that's why for me personally, I like to consider the return for these indexes, let's just say the S&P, somewhere along the lines of seven to 8%. People like to get really happy about it and optimistic and say 10%. Well, that's great. But when you factor in inflation, it's much more like seven to 8%. And I think what that goes to show is that even for you older viewers, I know we have a lot of older viewers watching this video, it's still important to be exposed to equities. In the environment that we're living right now, some of the fixed income funds and the, the high interest savings accounts, the rates we're pulling in, they just won't cut it. Inflation isn't going to stop. And in fact, it may absolutely ramp up. But that's why even for a older investor, your portfolio should absolutely consist of some equities, whether that's 30%, 40%, 50%. That all depends on your specific plan. If you're a younger investor, well, you're going to be probably just fine with your equity exposure. But the teaching point and the final takeaway for this video is that, in my opinion, investing in the stock market, owning great businesses and uh, partaking in their gains and returns over the years. That's the best way to handle inflation. That's the best way to combat it. And if we have a good solid portfolio that we believe in for the long term, we're going to do just fine. It's just going to be a part of what we live with. But that'll wrap it up for today's video, guys. Again, first time I've ever talked about inflation on the channel. So if it was a little shaky, a little rough, well, I apologize. But if you did enjoy this video and learn something new, I'd love for you to drop a quick thumbs up on the video. That helps out big time. Feel free to share your thoughts down below on this video. And if you have any additional points that you'd like to add, if you're not already subscribed to the channel, we post videos like this every single week. So subscribe and hit the bell for notification. And last but not least, if you like topics like this and you just wanna increase your financial literacy and really know what you're doing in the stock market, click the first link down below. We have training courses, we have a membership group that you can join for a substantially lower price and follow along with our trades and everything we do in the market. We've got a super cool community we're building of Canadian investors. And if you're looking to actually learn more, click the first link down below. But as always, I thank you guys for watching. I hope you enjoyed and I'll see you in the next video.